We were singing a lot about the cross tonight, because that's what I'd like to uh, close this meeting out with, is a message about our great salvation and our great Savior. And um, it's always a blessing. I've said it already, and it's been said by Brother Jim, but it is a blessing to get to be here again. And I always, I end up getting refreshed coming down here, and I enjoy it. Thank you for the good food and the fellowship and just the good time. And uh, it's funny, I was thinking tonight, uh, Jim up here, it was years ago, it's been over 20 years ago, him and I were both at Cornerstone at the time, and uh, a man asked me to come and preach a revival meeting for five nights, Monday through Friday, and uh, he called me at my house, and he was a little church up in the mountains there in in, uh, central Tennessee, and I was all excited, and I went in, Uh, me and Jim would get together in the mornings there at Cornerstone, and and, uh, go over the Bible Institute. We would meet before we went to work. And I came in, I said, man, I said, a guy has called me and wants me to come and preach the whole week, a revival. Jim says, have you got five messages? So, and I didn't. I had uh, I had four and I cut one in half and preached the first half on Thursday night, the last half. We'll have to continue this tomorrow night as I just don't have time, you know. But uh, anyway, uh, we, it's a blessing. I, uh, these last 20 years or better, now almost 25, have been a blur. But uh, the work of God is a blessing and what a privilege to be uh, serving the Lord Jesus Christ and to be having the privilege to open a Bible and preach from it. Let's take our Bible, Romans chapter 8 tonight. And uh, <clears throat> I'd like to, you know, last night of a meeting, give you something good to, be, to go on, to be excited about. Let's all stand to honor the reading of the Word of God. And we'll go ahead and pick it up in verse 28 and read to the end of the chapter. And uh, there is there are messages and series of messages that can be preached from many of these verses uh, individually. But we're going to look at some things tonight from this and uh, study a little bit about the great salvation that God has wrought for us and given to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 28, the Bible says this, and we know and uh, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. And by the way, that is the purpose of God in verse 28. In salvation is to conform us to the image of his Son. That's the good thing. Not all things that happen to you are good. It's, it's safe. You're not denying the Bible when you say that. But he is saying that God is going to work all things, even the disappointments, even the, the darkness, even the things that happen that seem unfair. He's going to take all of those things and work them uh, for his purpose. And his purpose is to conform us to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. And I love the fact that uh, glorified is in the past tense. I'm not glorified yet, but according to God's accounting, I am. I can't explain all of that. I'm not trying to tonight. I just know that it gives me great comfort. Verse 31, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, and obviously He is, if God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is He that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, 
nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a mouthful of great truth right there. So we're going to try to glean out of that a little bit with the help of the Lord tonight. Let's pray one more time and ask him to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of standing behind the pulpit here at East River Baptist Church again. I thank you, Lord, for a good week that you've blessed us with. Thank you for the health that you've given me to be here tonight. And Lord, thank you for the richness of these passages. Lord, there's no way to to plumb the depths of what has been said here. But Lord, would you help us to see, Lord, open our eyes to some truths, Lord, that would comfort and, and give us confidence, comfort our hearts, give us confidence about what you've done for us. Help us to see Jesus Christ better as we look at these things tonight. Would you please meet with us and speak to hearts? I ask it all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. This is a great chapter, obviously, in the Word of God. Romans chapter 8 gives us some of the details, some of the insight into this great thing we possess called salvation if you've been born again. If you've been born again, uh, you got saved. Listen, all you had to know when you got saved was that you were guilty and that Christ saved the guilty. Would save the guilty if you would simply come to him by faith. And when you came, I remember when I got saved, I didn't understand anything. Still don't know much, but I knew simply that I felt guilt. We should never ever be afraid of feeling guilty. People will ridicule preachers and churches these days because they have all these hang-ups and these emotional hang-ups. And they say, well, I just don't want to go to a church where they judge me. I'm tired of feeling guilty all the time. Well, there is such a thing as false guilt. But let me tell you something. Guilt is a blessing. I've probably said it here before. Guilt is to the soul what pain is to the body. It lets you know that there's a problem that you need to have. Something is not functioning right physically when you have a pain that keeps recurring. So it's letting you know you need to have this checked out. You need to get to a physician. Well, can I tell you, God has an inward smoke alarm called the conscience. And it will make you feel guilty when you see yourself in light of what the Bible commands us to do. That guilt is not designed to drive us into the ground. It's not designed to make us depressed. But it is a heavy burden. And it's, it's, a, it's a laborious thing to carry guilt around. But here's the thing is God always tells you, here's how to deal with your guilt. When Jesus Christ says in Matthew chapter 11, he says, come unto me, all ye that he's going to specify who he's calling to himself. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And that's why I think and believe that it is crucial that we uh, reintroduce into our gospel presentation the law of God. Because the law is designed to get a man to see that he has indictments against him. He has charges that are pending in the court of God. And that will make him very uncomfortable. But that's a blessing because that's designed, the law is designed to get us to Calvary. Amen. The law leads us to Calvary. It's a schoolmaster. It teaches us. And guilt is a blessing if you deal with it biblically. And listen, I believe I'm preaching tonight. You're here on a Wednesday night. So you're here because this is your home church. Maybe there's some visitors. And I don't know everybody in here personally. But listen, you're probably here because you have uh, professed salvation. You have come to Jesus Christ as a guilty sinner. You've received Him by faith. You have repented. You have turned to God and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have believed upon Him. You have trusted Him. You've cast yourself upon Him. However you want to say it. There was a time in your life where you came to Jesus Christ and he gave you the gift of eternal life. Now, I'm not one to, I've seen people get, they struggle with assurance. And sometimes if you're not careful, they begin or we begin to look inwardly all the time and check our spiritual pulse constantly. Do you know something? You can become a hypochondriac in the physical realm, if every day you're checking uh, your pulse and you're constantly worried about, you know, do my eyes, do they look a little glassy today? And every little thing is a major concern. The truth of the matter is you ought to check yourself physically occasionally. That's a smart thing to do. But sometimes people can get carried away. And it's the same way in the spiritual realm. 
People get to checking their spiritual temperature and saying, do I have enough faith? Is, is my faith strong enough? But I think that's a mistake in the long term. And by that I mean this. Rather than looking at your faith and what you can uh, uh, dredge up, if you will, how about looking away from yourself and start looking at Him? And when you begin to look at Jesus Christ and what He's accomplished, He will begin to develop faith in you, amen, and it'll show you what Christ has done. And I've never been confident looking, Brother Clark, at my own faith because I can find a lot of weaknesses in it. But when I begin to look away from myself and look to Him, it's a subtle trap. And I begin to look to Him and I begin to read what God has written down that He accomplished on my behalf. It begins to give me confidence and assurance and strength spiritually. And so we have a great salvation and I want to look at three things about this salvation in Christ Jesus tonight. First of all, our salvation is a, number one, it is a legal declaration. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, look with me, if you will, at verse 31. He says, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Now, let me say something right here. We have been trained that there's certain words that we get nervous about. Okay, and, and I, it says... Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Can I tell you, if you are in Jesus Christ, you're one of the elect. Whatever elect means to whoever is teaching it, that's not my point tonight. The point is, don't be afraid of Bible terminology. There was an older man that preached for us uh, before he passed away, Brother Billy Mitchell. He was in his 80s, and I had lunch with him. He preached a tent meeting for us, and I said, Brother, I didn't have you in for a lot of years because I heard your preaching, and I said... To my ears, you sounded like a Calvinist, and I'm not a Calvinist. Neither am I an Armenian. Just throw that out there, too. And and, uh, you you don't have to be the tulip or the daisy. You say, what's the daisy? He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. I'm I'm neither. I'm a Bible believer. And I told him, I said, I didn't have you in because I thought you were a Calvinist. He said, no, son, I'm a Christian. I'm not a Calvinist. You can't be both. And he looked at me and he said this, he smiled, he said, you thought that because I'm not afraid to use New Testament terminology. He said, those terms were in your New Testament before John Calvin was ever born. So don't look at a word and suddenly say, I don't want to touch that, let's not talk about that. No, let's talk about it. It says, who shall anything to the charge of God's elect? We love everything else, Paul says, why not love that? I, all I know, I'm in Christ, so I'm in the elect according to this passage. And, no, and, and the adversary cannot charge me and he says this he says it is God not man but God that justifieth justification see I fear that in our Baptist churches we have we have minimized the magnitude of salvation and I'm not saying you've got to be a theologian to get saved I've already told you you needed to know you were guilty before a holy God And that Christ came to save the guilty. He came to save sinners. That's all you have to know in order to have that transaction take place in your soul when you believe upon him. And it's God that justifieth. And you say, well, what are you getting at? I'm saying this too many times. Baptists have the mentality that salvation is me accepting Jesus Christ by faith and my sins being forgiven. And that's true. But that's the basic facts justification is a lot bigger than just the forgiveness of your sins. And that's crucial to understand because, you know, if you're going to do something, uh, whether it be, I remember when my dad was, was dying and of cancer back in 2018 and I was with him in his, uh, hospital room and, uh, there was some things going on and a lady told me, she goes, he's going to have to have you become uh, his medical power of attorney because this cancer is going to take him down to the place where he's not going to be able to make decisions and you're going to have to be able to do that. And so I told dad, I said, we've got to get this. I said, dad, I'm not trying uh, to push you off into eternity. I'm just, let's just take care of business. You taught me to take care of business. Let's take care of some business. And I explained to him what needed to happen. He said, get the paperwork in here. And man, they, he signed a, a few pieces of paper that gave me legally the power to act for him. And you know something, if, if it had not been for that, um, I could not have done that. There was a time where he was about to take another chemo treatment. I went in, he looked so path- pathetically 
just his body was wasting away. I sat down and said, Dad, they've got you scheduled again for one of those treatments. I said, what do you want to do? He says, I don't care. He goes, I want to go home. And I said, so, you, I said, how about you just get yourself comfortable and I'll cancel that today. Because he, he was dying. He didn't need to go get uh, a chemo treatment. So they called, canceled all that. The nurse calls back and calls me to the front desk. She said, do you have the power of attorney, medical power of attorney? I said, I do. She goes, do you have the paperwork? I said, somewhere. She goes, where is it? I said, I don't know. You figure it out. My dad's dying. I don't have time to sit here and argue with you about this. Well, she goes, well, you, you need to get him you need to, get to an, an emergency room. I said, well, what are they going to do? He's dying. The medical community can only do so much. Okay, and so I'm making this decision. And she could not do anything about it. You say, why? Because I had the legal power to act. Here's what I'm saying. Salvation is a legal transaction before God. It's more than just, most Baptists look at salvation as a probation. Okay, God has forgiven me and now uh, Jesus is my probation officer. And everything's okay until I mess up again. And then we'll go from there and see what happens. That's how you say, that's not how people think. That's exactly how people think. And therefore, they underrate the power and the privilege of the gospel. I just want to make Calvary as big as it really is. And you say, well, what are you saying? It's legal. It's all legal-like. If you're about to sell a home, you can't just say, hey, uh, somebody walk, knock on the door, say, hey, I'll give you 250000 for this house. Oh, okay, let me write a check. Well, here you go. We'll move our stuff out and you all move in. doesn't work that way. There has to be paperwork. There has to be things at the courthouse. There ha- it has to be done legal. Can I tell you something? God is a legal like God. He's the one that put the law down. And here's the thing about Calvary and about what Jesus Christ the Lord has accomplished for us. It all shakes out to be legal. Justification is not just forgiveness of sins. Justification is the throwing out of the case. And you say, can God do that? Sure he can. Listen to this. In Romans chapter 3, listen to the richness of this. The Bible says being justified. I'm in Romans 3 verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption That is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth. Notice that phrase, set forth. You know what that means? He put him forth out there for the world to see. He put that cross has been on display everywhere around the world. He set him forth like you would set forth goods in a window when people are coming by. If you want them to notice something, you go by the jewelers in the mall, they have their best stuff set forth in that window because they want it to catch your eye. Listen, people say, well, I thought God is a God of love. He is. God is love. But if you're going to see the love of God, you got to go to a place called Calvary. That's where you'll see it set forth. There is no such thing as the love of God apart from Calvary being set forth to a world full of guilty sinners. It says God has set forth. Set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Now watch this. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. That's talking about the sins of the Old Testament that could not be taken away by the blood of bulls and goats. God had not officially, legally dealt with those sins that were passed before the cross. When Christ comes, what's John the Baptist say when he sees him coming? Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And so he says, for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness. Now watch this. That he, God, might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Do you understand what you just read? God cannot forgive sinners and compromise his holiness. God's character, he will never compromise who he is in order to clear us. But Calvary is the wisdom of God on display because he has a way of upholding justice. Meeting and satisfying the demands of his holy law and also showing us love by sending his only begotten son into this world. Listen, we sang a song tonight where it was something about the creatures that he spoke into existence. 
Do you realize something? And this may, this was a big deal to me when I read this. There was an old time preacher that said, when God created the universe and all the things that are in it, he had to speak. When he came, when he had to redeem man, he had to come down into our world and act. He couldn't just speak redemption into existence. He had to come down. You say, what's the big deal? We just came through uh, the Christmas holiday where the world stops. And I, I know our crowd, we like to argue about, well, he wasn't born on December 25th. That's, you're totally missing the point. If you're one of those people watching, cut that out. Stop it. Okay? Because what matters is that the, boy, the man was born. Mary, a virgin, had a baby child, had a son. Okay, And the world stops long enough in December to at least give a head nod. Take that and use it. Use some wisdom and say, we're going to take this opportunity when the world slows down and finds itself singing our songs to tell them what the point is. Now you say, what's the deal? The deal is this. God knows that if he's going to satisfy the demands of the law, if he's going to be just in clearing sinners of their sins... He must be holy and just in doing so. So what does he do? He doesn't wink at sin. He can't overlook sin. He has to deal with it in a righteous manner. So what's he do? He does what Job was crying out in Job 9 about. You remember when Job was was going through it? And he said, God is not a man. That's a complaint from Job's heart in a sense. He's saying, God's not a man. He says, we can't come together. There's nobody to bring us together. There is no daysman betwixt us. In other words, he's what he's saying in a sense is God can't understand me. God is out there. He's not a man. How can he understand my sufferings? How can he understand what I'm going through? He's not a man. And who is there that can go between us? That is why the Gospels, when the, when the Virgin Mary had the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Bible says that God sent his son into the world, made under the law, made of a woman, made under the law. Why did he do that? He did that to come down here to become one of us. So he could identify with us and with humanity. When the Bible says he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin, you say, well, how could Jesus be tempted with everything? I mean, he was never a married man. You know, you get into all that. The truth of the matter is all temptations comes, come under three umbrellas. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So when the devil came to him in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 and tempted him as a man... He tempted him under those three umbrellas of temptation to test him and to check him. And so Jesus Christ comes into this world and lives a sinless life. And what he is, is what Job was praying for, complaining about. And that is, how can God understand us? In the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you have two main titles of the Lord. The Son of Man, primarily is what he's called, and also the Son of God. You say, which was he? He was both. Not half and half. He was a perfect mixture, the perfect, fully man, fully God man. It's it's a mystery. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. The, the, The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Why? Because you have to have someone that can take God, a holy God in one hand, and take an unholy man and bring us to the reconciling table and declare us justified. How can God do this? Because Jesus Christ died for you personally when he died on the cross. The Bible says God hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter 2 verse 22 says that he bore, Jesus Christ bore our sins and our guilt in his own body on the tree. When I see the cross, I see that was supposed to be me. He is representing me there. He is dying for me. He was buried. He rose from the dead for our justification according to Romans 4.25. You say, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying that God has legally delivered us from the wrath to come and dismissed our court case for lack of evidence. You say, why? Because it's already been paid in the person and body of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a legal declaration that ought to cause us to rejoice. There was a, you realize when you read Romans 6, when you got saved, the Holy Ghost united you to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and uh, we're, we, we died with Him, according to Romans 6, verse 6. We were buried with Him and we rose with Him. We, we rose up, He ro- raised up a new man in us that we uh, would walk in newness of life. 
There's a story told from the Civil War, a man named Richard Pratt uh, and George Wyatt. George Wyatt was from Illinois. And in the north, I think I told you this uh, when I preached on Romans 6 here last year. This man, uh, you could purchase a substitute. And this man, uh, George Wyatt, purchased a substitute. Richard Pratt went in his place down south as a Union soldier, and he died in Tennessee. Well, Lincoln, toward the end of the war, implemented the draft. And that man, George Wyatt, got a draft notice. And he went down to the draft board. He said, you can't draft me. And they said, why? He said, because I've already died. I'm dead. Now they said, you're not dead. You're standing right here. He said, I died in the person of my substitute. He went on my behalf and he died. So as far as legally you're concerned, I cannot be called up because I've already died. And can I tell you something? You will never, if you're saved, you will never be condemned for your sins and your breaking and your transgressions of the law because Christ has paid for them all already. And if in your, you're in Him, God can legally declare you cleared of all charges through a thing called justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all legal. Uh, I remember reading a great story, uh, the, uh, Miss Corey Tinboom. She was arrested, as you know, if you've read her material. And uh, I would read more than just The Hiding Place. Uh, she's got some wonderful uh, stories and things that God showed her. And she told her when she was being held uh, early on in her incarceration uh, by the Nazis that she was in a, a jail cell and they would come and get her every day and there was this, this Nazi uh, general that would interrogate her and, and she, was in, she was afraid of this man. And she began to witness to him many times and he began to soften his heart up and she could tell at times he would go easy on her. Well, one day they marched her down there and, and he turned around when she sat down and he slammed down a stack of papers and she said, as soon as I saw it, I knew what it was. She said, when they had raided our house, she said, we were running that, uh, that circuit, that underground circuit of people who were uh, shuffling the Jewish folks around to save them. And she said, but we had to keep records of where we could send them and who had who and when they would have room for more. She says, and it was, it was names and addresses and contact information to friends, neighbors, relatives. She says, all your loved ones. And she said, they had gotten that at our home. And, and they knew exactly what it was. And she said, that was the death warrant for everybody on that list. And she said, he said, explain this. Explain this. And she said, I began to cry and said, I, I cannot. And she said, I dropped my head and began to weep. And she said, I heard him pick that, roll, that uh, pile of papers up and roll them up. And she said, he opened the stove in his office, that wood stove, and pitched that in there and shut it. And he said, get out of here. And she said, at that moment was the first time, she said, the Holy Ghost showed me what Colossians 2, 13 and 14 mean. When it says that he nailed the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. That's talking about the law. Law's not for you. The law is against you. The law is going to indict you. The law is a holy, just, righteous standard. Nothing wrong with the law. There's all, everything wrong with us. And if you're hanging on to the law thinking, well, we're going to walk arm in arm. No, the law is going to turn and say, this man is guilty. He's got to die. That's all the law was given for. It made nothing perfect. And listen, it was, it was uh, the Bible says the handwriting of ordinances that was contrary to us. And that was against us. It says he took it out of the way. Nailing it to his cross. Having forgiven you all trespasses. Church do you understand tonight. The blessings of this. This legal justification. That says you're declared not guilty. You're declared that there are no charges. As far as God sees. There is no evidence that's ever going to come up again. And she said my heart and the burden that lifted off. It was sure death for these people. Sure death for me. And he turned it through. There's no chance of that ever coming back up. That's why the Bible says he'll remember our sins and our iniquities no more. It says having cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. Do you understand when you begin to consider all of your transgressions, 
in your mind, your intentions, your attitude. So, uh, listen, sin is not just outward behavior. Many times Jesus said, you've heard of, it was said of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, people say, you know, Jesus raised the bar. No, he didn't. That bar was always that high. He just revealed the depth of the law when he said, well, you may not behave that way outwardly, but I say unto you that if a man look with lust upon a woman, he hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And so your mind, your imagination, your words, your attitudes, your intentions, all that's against you in the day of judgment. I've got a big problem with God, but then I, I see Calvary. And by faith, by grace are you saved through faith. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus, God declared you righteous and justified you in that moment. And I'm telling you, it is an amazing thing when you think about it. The evidence is gone. The sins are gone. God has blotted them out. And he is satisfied and he is just for doing it this way. And the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ proves that his payment was good. Because he rose from the dead in Isaiah 53 verse 10 says that God shall, God the Father shall see the travail of Jesus' soul and shall be satisfied. All of his wrath fell at Calvary. And when you got there, the, your wrath has been taken in your substitute and in your legal representative who has taken upon himself your sin and your guilt. And then rose from the dead. Now, that's a legal declaration. Your salvation also comes with the Lord's representation. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, someone says, well, preacher, that's a blessing. And too often times we think, as I said, we look at salvation more as a probationary thing. Than as this all glorious, we're, we're, we're fixed for eternity. Legally, in a just way. Somebody says, okay, preacher, that's wonderful. But what happens when now that we've been justified, we find ourselves committing a sin. I'm glad you asked. Because the Bible says this. Look at verse 34. After it says, it is God that justifieth. It says, who is he that condemneth? Earlier he said, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Well, your conscience is going to condemn you at times. And certainly the adversary is going to accuse you. You know, he's called... Beelzebub, I believe in the book of Matthew. You know what Beelzebub stands for? It means the Lord of the flies. And do you know what flies like? They like garbage. And so you know what the adversary, the Beelzebub, the Lord of the flies likes to do? He likes to drag you into your past and kick over your trash cans. And smear all that trash out. And all those flies are drawn to that. But the question becomes this. If you're hidden away in Christ then you know what he's going to have to do in order to condemn you? He's going to have to condemn Jesus Christ and find, find fault with him. I'm hidden. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? You know who the elect are? Those that are in Christ Jesus. And being in Christ Jesus, I have a representative the, uh, uh, and representation in heaven. Let's, let's look at this. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And look with me at verse 24. For Christ is not entered into that the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true. Now, stop and think about that. The way God told Moses and those Jews to build that temple, those were figures of the true holy place in heaven. Because he said right there, he said, Christ didn't enter into that the holy place made with hands. That's down here on earth which the things down here on earth are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now, present tense, to appear in the presence of God for us. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. What does he do there? Well, First John 2 says, These things have I written unto you that you sin not. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. Period. And if any man sin, it's still talking to believers. If any man sin, we have an advocate. Remember what Job cried out for? A daysman? We've got him. He has come. He has finished the work. 
He has ascended back to heaven where he came down from. And he took his seat at the right hand of God. And why is he there? He is there to represent me and you now. And he, he advocates for us. You know what's amazing? A man to come, we have a, we go out many times to different fairs and festivals around our area to set up a church booth, hand out tracts and, and have good conversations. I tell the people, you know what I want? I, I don't need you coming back telling me how many got saved. I would be, I would love it if someone comes to faith in Christ. What I want our church to do, what I want our folks to do is to go out and have, I said, witnessing is a conversation. Because you sure have, in America, you have a lot of religion to plow through before you can get to the heart of the matter, usually with people. I said, so go have some good conversations. Tell them what Christ did for you. Give them a track and explain the truth. But people will come up and half the time the people we end up talking with are just uh, backsliders from other churches that want to come up and argue about what we don't agree on. So they come around and they start talking about, uh, I don't believe in that once saved, always saved. And I thought, I wouldn't either, amen, if I was living like you did. No, I'm just kidding. I don't say that. But they come out, I don't believe all that. And they think that they're being humble and that we're being arrogant by taking this position that, well, now that you've been born again, and I'm heavy on the once saved part. you got to get born again. But when you do, listen, God lays hold of you. You lay hold of him, but he lays hold of you. He apprehends you, according to Philippians 3. And I asked a man one time, I said, do you think Jesus Christ got all of his prayers answered? I said, do you think he can get a prayer answered? He goes, well, sure he can. I said, then I'm in. And he says, well, what do you mean? In John chapter 17, the Lord's high priestly prayer there before he dies, you know what he says? He says, Father, he is praying to his Father in heaven. And he says these words. He, he prayed for his disciples, his apostles. But then he says, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. So, you know, I believed on Christ because of the word of John and the word of Paul. That's why I believe the God. I've got their words right here written in a book. Jesus prayed. He says, I don't pray just for these apostles, but I pray for all those that will believe on me through their word. All right. What did he pray for us? That they all may be one, he says, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And he goes on to say, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. You know what he's praying? I pray that they can come to glory where I'm at and they can see my glory. Now that prayer is going to get answered. And, and listen, he is praying for us when we fail. He is right there. And he is representing us in heaven. That's an amazing thought. That you have someone, even when you fail as a Christian, you have an advocate. And your salvation doesn't break up and fall apart. You have to get it again. And No, no, he's right there. He's paid the price. Your sins are paid for past, present, and possible. They're, all, they're already taken care of. And we have Jesus Christ there with the wounds in his hands and feet still and pleading our case. I won't get into a long story, but I've told the story here before about being arrested for having a pistol in my bag at the airport many years ago. And the lesson I learned that the Lord showed me uh, was when I went into that courtroom and that lawyer met me and he told me outside that courtroom, he said, when we go in there together, he said, I represent you. You don't have to do any talking. I'll do all the talking. And he says, you, when I stand up, you stand up, but don't open your mouth. I'll speak for you. And boy, we went in there and he stood up. I stood up. He approached the bench. He talked on my behalf to the judge and the judge threw the, the deal out. And we walked out of there without me opening my mouth. And you say, what, what, what happened? He was my advocate, my lawyer, my go-between. He approached the bench on my behalf. And he was in the courtroom there with me. I was scared to go in. One time I went, there was actually a court date set. I rarely tell this part of the story. And I had gone to before that one. And I'd had a person tell me, 
hey, you don't even have to get a lawyer because they're going to throw it out of court. This happens all the time. I said, really? It was a police officer. He said, yeah, you don't need legal representation. They see this all the time. So I went there by myself. I waited for two hours. They never called my name. I walked up to the DA. I said, am I at the right place? She said, what's your name? I said, Travis Alltop. She digs through there. She goes, yep. She goes, you're going to be uh, coming up here probably within the hour. And she said, where's your representation? I said, I was told I didn't need representation. She said, you're kidding me. She said, why are you here? She goes, if you step up there without a law, you're going to jail. I said, well, I'm a pastor. This is going to kind of throw a kink in things. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I said, well, I said, I, I didn't know. I said, they said, this is very common. She goes, this is a, this is a, a prohibited firearm. She said, this is a problem. She said, never come to the courtroom without a lawyer. And I said, what should I do? She said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. She goes, I'm going to reschedule you for two months. You've got to get some representation. And the next time I went in, I went in, okay. And he did the talking and I did the walking. Hallelujah. And you say, what's the deal? The deal is that judge never looked and said, now he just motioned my representative up there to the bench. They discussed a few things. My representative said, meet me in the hallway. When I said, what just happened? He said, case dismissed. You're free to go. Jesus Christ, our advocate. We have the Lord's representation. Now, a legal declaration and the Lord's representation, it is as good and way better than I can preach it. Now, here's, here's the thing, and I'm, I'm gonna, this is my last point. doesn't mean I'm close to being finished. It just means it's my last point. Most people say, okay, if that's true, then I guess I can just live any way I want to. I just go out because you, you said it. I heard you say it, Brother Altop. He paid for all of our sins. They're already paid for. We've already been justified in the sight of God. You said in the opening that we're already glorified as God as far as God's concerned. And if we do stumble down here, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who represents us in the Father. There's no way for us to be condemned. So wouldn't people who believe that just go out and live any way they wanted to? And the answer is yes. They would. Because here's the thing that most people miss. And that is, with all of that I've just preached about, a legal declaration, the Lord's representation, where it says, remember look at verse 34 there in Romans 8. He says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? And he goes on to say, who is he that condemneth? Look at it, it is Christ that died, yea rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Then he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He goes on to say in verse 37, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And he goes on to talk about there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Here's the key about salvation. We no longer have a law relationship to God. We are out from under the law. The law has been satisfied. The law has been silenced. Hallelujah. I've already died. My case has been thrown out of court. If a man who is awaiting trial at the courthouse is being held in the county jail and he dies, he does not, they do not haul his corpse up there before the judge. You understand what I'm saying in these pictures? In other words, he's done. The law can do nothing else. He's buried. There is no court date. All right. In our representative, we died and were buried. We've been risen with Him together to walk in newness of life. Our case has been thrown out. And here's what motivated God to do all of that is His great love wherewith He hath loved us. And while we do no no longer have a legal relationship to God now, it's a different relationship. We've been adopted into the family. Therefore, it's a loving relationship. When you sin now, you're not sinning against the law that has been silenced and has nothing more to say to me. You are sinning against love, which should grieve you more and trouble you more. You know what? We love Him because He first loved us. And the love that put this whole plan in action, the love that sent Jesus Christ to the cross for us, the love that raised Him from the dead and offered eternal life as a free gift to whosoever will, let him come. That love, when you begin to contemplate that, when you begin to think about that, it motivates you. It's Salvation brings about the third point, which is love's motivation. We are motivated not because the law, God is standing there waiting to crush us. 
The crushing blow was given to our substitute. But when you recognize that, you're, you're filled with awe. Think of the songs we sing. And can it be? There's a song, How Can It Be? You're overwhelmed with the love of God. And listen, when you realize that, that makes you want to live for Him. Because you love Him. The more you can understand about Calvary, the closer you can draw to God. Now you say, well, can you illustrate that? Yes. I remember uh, many years ago as a young man, I was, uh, I was out with some buddies. We, had just, we were just old enough. We were 15, 16 years old, just old enough to have driver's license. And now what I'm going to say, I don't want to give anybody the wrong idea. You young people, when you hear me say this, I'm not trying to uh, pretend like we, we, we were out doing some dumb things as teenage boys are, are known to do. There wasn't any alcohol or any drugs involved. It was just foolishness, okay? And uh, so some of the people we were messing with, you know, uh, called the police. And we knew the police was looking for us that night. And so I lived two miles outside the city limits. They drove me home, and I told my buddies, I said, now just go home and go to bed. Don't be driving around because you're going to get picked up. And so I went in, laid down. They drove back into town, and the police were waiting for them, pulled them over. And, uh, and again, it wasn't anything you're going to go to jail for, but it was something that was annoying the community that we were in. And so the police said, we're hauling you in to the police station, and you're going to call your parents to come get you. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. you know. And so about 2.30, phone rings at my house. My mother gets on the phone talking to my friend's mother. and She comes in and goes, what were you all doing? I said, well, you know, and I tried to explain myself. She said, well, tomorrow, she goes, you're going to the police station, turning yourself in. Tell them what you did, uh, you know, and she didn't say it quite that nice, okay? And uh, so the next day, my dad drives me to the police station. So I go in, I say, hey, I was one of the guys that was, uh, you know, doing this thing. And so the, the guy read me the riot act, the, the cop, the, 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 uh, the lawman. And boy, he just told me, you know, how it was, don't ever, we better never catch you doing that again. And, you know, this, this, and this, and this, you could have done this, this could have been a problem. And so I stood there and took my chewing from the law. And I walked out of there with my dad, and we were getting in the car, and he's looking at me. He said, son, I'm so disappointed in you. He said, you, you couldn't have humiliated me more than you have today. And he goes, I, I'm ashamed of you. And we got in the car, and all of a sudden, there was a lump in my throat. Because now it wasn't just this legal guy that I really don't know that's just cold relationship. Now it's my dad. And he has been, he has been, he's, he's not ashamed of me, but kind of right at this moment. And I, I did that. Now, because it's a, a relationship that's a family relationship. See, I'm not in the courtroom with God as a judge anymore. He took his judge's robe off, stepped down from the bench, satisfied his own law through his only begotten son, my Savior. Put his arm around me and said, I tell you what, let's walk down out of this courtroom and walk into the family room. And I'll be your father. I'll adopt you into the family. And that's what happened when you received Jesus Christ. You're accepted in the beloved. Adopted into the family. And now this relationship is not a legal relationship. It's a love relationship. And when you fail God, you're, you're misrepresenting him down here. And you're one of his. That's why the Bible talks about grieving the spirit of God. I grieved my dad that day. I grieved him because your behavior reflects on me, son. And I've taught you better than that. You know better than that. And I'm disappointed. And I remember driving with a lump in my throat, looking out the window and and doing this. And thinking to myself, there's no way I could do this to him again. And it wasn't because he said, we're going to bring you back down to the police station. Or I'm going to take your lunch money away. Or I'm going to give you a whipping. It was because, son, I love you and, and, and you're my son. But today I'm disappointed. You misrepresented me. And you know something, when you think of sin like that, you're not sinning against the law. You're not going to be condemned. But you're sinning against your heavenly father who has given you freely all things. And I'm going to tell you something about love. It will motivate you in ways that the law never can I am convinced that one of the things that I want to learn better to do is to preach our identity in Jesus Christ 
Because when you do that, that is no longer, a, and I know you have to preach standards. I'm not, I'm not preaching against that. I'm not saying we should never tell people, don't do this, do this. You have to put some boundaries in place for people to feel safe. But what I want, what I want in my kids and what I want in our church is people growing up in the faith, not because someone's over top of them fixing to smack them around, but because salvation is designed to draw you up closer to God, conform you more to the image of Jesus Christ. Why? Because I have to? No, because I love God and I want to. Why? Because He's done so much for me. How can I not do something for Him? I can't even believe what He's done and what He's accomplished Seated with Christ in the heavenlies. I love it. There's an old hymn. The old old time Methodists used to sing. And listen, God's love is said to be, according to Jeremiah 31, everlasting. His love is everlasting. That means it's forever. He doesn't take his love back. In Christ, we are in the center of God's love. Swimming in it. His love is everlasting. And that old time uh, hymn, if I can remember it, it goes this way. What wondrous love is this, O my soul, O my soul. What wondrous love is this, O my soul. What wondrous love is this that calls the Lord of bliss To bear the dreadful curse for my soul, for my soul. To bear the dreadful curse for my soul. When I was sinking down, sinking down, sinking down. When I was sinking down, sinking down. When I was sinking down beneath God's righteous frown, Christ laid aside His crown for my soul, for my soul. Christ laid aside His crown for my soul. What wondrous love. And if this won't motivate you to live for God, what can, what will? Listen, you're freed from the condemnation, from the curse. It's so much bigger than just being forgiven for a little while. We don't get forgiveness on installments. He wiped it away. And we can walk in liberty. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. Amen. I'm telling you, it's better than you realize. Better than I can ever preach it. And if we ever start seeing it, We'll love him because we recognize that he first loved us. We're more than conquerors through him that loved us.